Hi everyone, my name is Mallory and I am shooting from my home office in Lakeville. Today I'm going to read Numbers chapter 20 verses 1 through 13. In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. There was no water for the people to drink at the place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with all our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle, where they fell face down on the ground. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. We must bring, must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and the water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing, because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much, Mallory. It's good to see your face, uh, even if it's through a screen. Uh, Numbers is an exciting book, even though it has a boring name. So to get into it, uh, let's just imagine what it might have been like when this happened. A candle flickers on a small table in their large Bedouin tent. The sun is set and this family is huddled around mother on one side and father on the other. Three children on one side, two on the other. And it's the smallest ones who don't understand. They keep asking the same questions over and over. The old, older kids have grown tired of their questions, but mother is patient and father is quiet. It's the third week of rationing water. The first week, they all got full glasses. The second week, less. The third week, even less. Now they're down to just inches of water, always giving the smaller children more than they need, and the older a little less, and mom and dad even less. So as mother walks around the table, pouring the water, she whispers to father, this is all there is. There's no more left. She tries to sneak just a little more in his cup, knowing his strength is their protection and provision until they find water. They try to talk about the day and where God is taking them, but it's the four-year-old that's begging for more water as the mother runs her fingers through his dark hair and looks at his dark eyes. She says, that's all the water we have. But he can't help himself 
I want more water. I'm so thirsty. And now the two-year-old starts crying because of the four-year-old's whining. And mother looks at her husband and then at her youngest two. And she slowly pours her water into the four-year-old's cup. The older two children do the same. They'll go without. They've done it before. Father then gets up from the table, walks around and places his cup in front of his wife. She grasps the clay cup with her hands and pushes it back towards him. He grabs it, sets it in front of her again, and again she takes her hands around the cup and she pleads with her eyes silently and pushes it back in his hands. He takes it, he walks back around the table, and then pours it in the four-year-old's cup. For the moment, the four-year-old is quiet and content. But things are not good. They've eaten what's left of their food, their livestock are starving, and now they are out of water. Once everyone goes to sleep, Father will leave his tent and head for the clan's campfire and voice his concerns to the rest of the leaders. It's one thing for our livestock to die, but I'm not about to sit here and let my family die in this wilderness. We have to do something. As Mallory read, we're going to look at a story that some might consider one of the most unfair stories in the Bible. But as we look at it today, my hope is that we can not only just get a clear understanding of the story and the context, but the heart of this God that would tell Moses he doesn't get to enter. Maybe you've been in situations in your life where things seem unfair and you wonder, what is going on, God? This is a story for you. Again, if you're just joining us in person or online, we are reading through the first five books of the Bible, and you might say, why the first five books? Uh, they're long, they're old, they're a little boring, and I would say the reason is because they're the foundation of Scripture, and when we know God's story, we can more clearly find ourselves in God's story. And God wants us to find him. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So we are trying to seek him in this story. So God, I pray that we would hear you in your word today. And that you would show us where we are in our lives today. Amen. So again, it's numbers. It's a story of three different places of wilderness. It starts at Mount Sinai. They go to this place called Paran, which is also the wilderness of Zin. And then they uh, go into the wilderness of Moab. But there are two travel stories in the midst of that. And it's a book that also references stories of Egypt and stories of the promised land. And it's really important because those aren't just actual places in the Bible. They're spiritual places that we find ourselves. Sometimes we're in Egypt Sometimes we're in the wilderness, and sometimes we're in the promised land. And it's important for us to ask God how to discern which of those places we're in so we know where we are and we know where God might be taking us. So again, Numbers 20. It's, 
It's where Moses gets disqualified from entering the promised land. He's put up with 40 years of leading people. And people are messy. He's put up with complaints. He's put up with stress. He's put up with disappointments. Again and again, he's gone before God to redeem these people, to ask God to save these people. And it seems like this is how he's repaid. And many of us look at the story and go, what's the deal? I mean, if you put all of Moses' good things on one side and his bad things on the other, I realize that, yes, when he was in Egypt, he did kill someone. That's a pretty big deal. But that was 80 years before this point. And if you put all his good stuff on one side of the scale and his bad stuff on the other, it seems like the scales would be tipped far towards the good side. Now, that's not how God works, but it's how we want him to work, or so we think. And we also do that with ourselves. Oh, but God, if you just look at all the good things I do versus all the bad things, you know, why would you do this? And again, we have to look at the whole story. Because it seems, at first glance, that it's just too harsh. I mean, hitting a rock twice? Now, if Moses had stolen money from the congregation, I think we would go, mm, 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 see, getting what you deserved. Financial integrity is really important for, for leaders. Or if Moses went and uh, cheated on his wife, we would say, mm-mm, see, now you don't get to go into the promised land because you did that wrong. We need to have integrity for our leaders. Again, we'd say those things are justified, but this, this doesn't seem justified. And the end result is the same. The people still got to drink. The livestock didn't die. Like, it turned out okay. Maybe you've said that before. The ends justify the means. Well, I think the only way I can comprehend this story is if I look at the whole context. And if God's people in Numbers 13 or 14 can miss their moment of going into the promised land, and now in Numbers 20, Moses misses his moment of going into the promised land, and if the promised land is more of a state than a place, I think it means that you and I can miss our moments as well. So how did he miss it? Uh, I would call this the recipe for catastrophe. Uh, First, I think he missed what was going on inside of himself. He missed his body's signals, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It says in Numbers 20, verse 1, in the first month of the year, the whole community arrived in this place called Kadesh, and while they were there, Miriam died and was buried. Now, Miriam is Moses' sister, Moses' big sister, And it's the first month of the last year. We get that a little bit later in Numbers. So it's been 40 years since they've left Egypt. A lot has happened in that time. And and Miriam's name means bitterness, so she might not have always been the happiest person in the planet. Uh, And yes, 38 or 39 years ago, she rebelled against Moses, and that was not good. But if, again, you look at the whole totality of her life, Miriam has been there every step of the way. Miriam was there when Moses' mother put him in the Nile River, like Pharaoh commanded. He just was put in a boat. And she was there when Pharaoh's daughter picked him up. And she was there to ask Pharaoh's daughter if 
you know, she could find a, a person to nurse Moses. She was there to bring Moses back to her mother. She was there when they went through the Red Sea. She was there to sing the first worship song. She's been there through everything. And now she's gone. Does Moses realize the emotional toll that that takes? Physically, does he realize how tired he is? Spiritually, does he realize how many or how few people are around him? I don't know if you've lost people during this pandemic, but even if you haven't lost someone, we've all had to endure losses. Losses make us sad, they make us mad, and they above all make us exhausted. Moses, we don't know, but likely is just tired. Losses suck our energy away. Aaron's got to be with him, but otherwise, no, like, it doesn't say anything about his wife, doesn't say anything about those leaders that God put the spirit on back in Numbers 11. They weren't around, it was just Moses, Aaron, and God. Emotionally, he's lost his sister. Physically, he's old. He is tired. Second, because I realize that, you know, we might have to make a lot of references or inferences in that, but second, he missed where he was and where they were. So in Numbers, it's really important when you read to know what happens before and what happens after. What has happened, but also what hasn't happened. Because the first half of Numbers, they're at Mount Sinai. They haven't done anything wrong. Oh, well, they have. They had a big cold and calf incident. But there's not, like, huge punishment. It's preparation. From Exodus 19 to Numbers 13, it's all preparation. God wants to bring them to a new place, so they have to be a new people. And so they leave after this one year at Mount Sinai, after they've learned what it means to be God's people, after they've learned to practice Sabbath, after they've learned to celebrate the festivals, after they've learned to dwell with God, have the sacrifices, have the temple, tabernacle, all not for religion, but for relationship with God. Then they travel to Kadesh. Numbers 20 and Numbers 13 aren't just seven chapters apart. They're 40 year, 39 years apart. But it's the same place. Kadesh is on the edge of the wilderness and the edge of the promised land. That's important because the first time they go there, they stop. Because Kadesh in Hebrew means holy. Kadesh or Kadosh is the word for holy. It's the word in Genesis chapter 2, the first time it's used when God stops and sees day 7, everything good. And in Kadesh, you stop and you recognize where God is. And, and they do that. They also, when they stop there, there's no mention of not having water. In fact, Kadesh, if you look it up, there are four oases in that place. Now, maybe those oases, maybe there was a huge drought, maybe they're not there, or maybe it's not exactly about spiritual, or about physical water, it could be, because spiritual, like physical water is life in a desert, but it's also spiritual. Like the sustenance, what has sustained them in the wilderness has run out. There's no more water 
in the wilderness. It's time to go get water in the promised land. And Kadesh isn't just the place of holiness, isn't just a place of water. It's also, as the video said, where they sent the 12 representatives to go explore the land and find out what it's like. And when they do that, two of this, they, they all come back talking, they all 12 come back talking about how great it is. They carry this giant stick with this huge cluster of grapes. They talk about the, the grain or the seeds and the fruit. Have you ever heard seeds and fruit before? This is when you all nod. You can nod at home. Yeah, Genesis 1 at creation in the Garden of Eden. There are seeds and there are fruit. This is, this is harking back to that. And the fruit that they talk about, well, they mention grapes. They also mention figs. They also mention pomegranates. Now, why so specific? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. The point, though, is that God says, this is, this is all good. And two of them are like, okay, let's go. God's with us. And 10 are like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Yes, the fruit looks great. There's lots of seeds. But there are huge cities. There are giant people. We'll look like grasshoppers. We don't know if God will be with us. Let's not go. And if you want to super nerd out, you can find out the 10 specific times they grumble against God. This is the 10th time. 10 is that sacred number that's for or against community with eternal consequences. There are 10 commandments, there were 10 plagues, and now there are 10 times that the people reject God. And so God gives them what they ask for. They don't want to go in the land. God says, okay, you can die in the wilderness. Sometimes God gives us what we ask for. Sometimes 40 years doesn't actually have to be 40 years. 40 is, again, a number in the Bible where something dies, but something new is born. And sometimes we get to decide how long that is. So all of that is going on. I hope you didn't, I didn't lose you. So they missed, Moses missed where they were. Now, if I did lose you, come on back, because he also missed who they were. In verses three to five, the people blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers, why have you brought, catch it, the congregation of the Lord's people into the wilderness to die? along with all our livestock, why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us to this terrible, evil, raw place? Notice how the people identify themselves. Why did you bring the congregation of the Lord's people? They've never, ever referred to themselves in the story as them. They likely would have referred to themselves as Hebrews before this, or maybe as Egyptian slaves before this. Um, Numbers 11 identifies them as rabble or riffraff, this people that sort of like don't know where they're from. If they're from Egypt or if they're from the promised land, they, they don't know who they are. Now they know who they are. They are the congregation of the Lord's people. They may have rebelled against Moses' leadership, but they weren't rebels. In fact, up until this point, they have not seen themselves as the community. This is part of why Restoration's mission says a community of people 
restored by Jesus to bring hope to the world. Because we're not just a group. We're not just a collection of individuals. We're a Christ-centered community who cares for one another, who sees each other, even if we can't see each other in person. God's people were actually getting this right, and I think Moses missed that. He also missed what they truly wanted. Uh, The people were asking for things. They were saying, why have you brought us out into this this place to die? Um, He hears their complaints, but they weren't actually asking to go back to Egypt like their parents did. And they weren't asking for what their parents wanted. The first time around in Numbers 11, when they leave Egypt one year later, they end up at Kadesh. Along the way, it says the rabble, not the congregation of the Lord's people, the rabble traveled along and began to crave the good things of Egypt. And then the people of Israel also began to complain. Sometimes bad character infects good people. And then they said, oh, for some meat. We remember the fish that we used to eat for free in Egypt. It only cost us our slavery. Oh, we remember we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic we wanted. I don't even know what a leek is, but it does not sound appetizing. And onions and garlic, yeah, they're good in in small quantities. But that's what they were asking for in Numbers 11. The first time around... They wanted the vegetables of Egypt. They were desiring the things of slavery. The next generation in Numbers 20 is not asking for those things. They were either children or teenagers when they were in the promised land or in in Egypt or, or they weren't even born yet. And they have been children of the wilderness But the one thing their parents that got it a lot wrong, at least instilled in them, is they weren't made for the wilderness. That they were made for the people to be the people of the promised land. And so, again, when the scouts come back in Numbers 13, verse 23, they have a huge cluster of grapes, and they brought back figs and pomegranates. That's the fruit of the promised land. That's what the people in Numbers 20 are asking for, and Moses doesn't hear it. See, if you're in a position of leadership, and if you're a parent, you're in a position of leadership. It might not feel like it if you have teenagers, I know, but you are. If you work for a company, you have authority. If you have friends, you have influence. And sometimes... People under you ask for things that sound like things of the past, but are actually things of the future. You can't miss it. Listen to what they desire. These people were desiring God. They're saying, hey, we're God's people. We're ready to follow him. We want the things of the promised land. We want to have the fruit of the promised land. We want to follow God into the promised land. We are ready but Moses doesn't hear that. He doesn't hear who they are. He doesn't hear what they desire. He doesn't hear where they are. 
So the recipe for catastrophe is when you miss your body's signals, what your body is telling you. It's when you miss God's signs about location and identity and desires. And it's when you miss God's stipulations. I realize stipulations is a big word just to get the alliteration. But they missed what God actually said. It's sort of like when you do things that God wants, but in your own way. See, in Numbers 20, 6 through 11, Aaron and Moses did the right thing at first. They turned away from God's people. They went to the entrance of the tabernacle. They sought the Lord's presence. And then the Lord appeared to them, and they listened to the Lord saying, hey, take the staff, assemble the people, go to them, speak to the rock, and then you will provide water for the people, and they will all be satisfied. It'll be good. And Moses did what he was told, sort of. He took the staff, He went and assembled the people with Aaron, and then he did it his way. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring water from the rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice. And when I've read this, I've always pictured it like this. But I wonder, I just wonder, if he did it once. And then waited. And then had nothing happen. Because see, the first time they left Egypt, they ran out of water in Exodus 17, and God told Moses to strike a rock once, and it would pour out water. I think Moses went, and nothing happened. And then he looked at Aaron, and he looked at the people, and I wonder, I just wonder, because of who God is, if he would have actually gone, oh, I messed up. I'm supposed to just speak to the rock. If he would have got to go into the promised land. We don't know. I just wonder if maybe five seconds go by or 10 seconds go by and then he hits it again. Water comes out, but he calls them rebels when they call themselves God's congregation. He says, must we bring water from the rock when it's God who brings water from the rock? God calls us to participate in his divine nature, but he never calls us to take his glory. Sometimes It's Christ who invites us to share in his glory, but it's that invitation, not for the taking. And the first time Moses struck the rock, we have to remember the context. So the word for strike in Hebrew is the same word as plague. Okay, I want you to, I know we're almost done, but you got to hear this part because I think this is the key. So if strike is the same word as plague, then 10 times God struck the Egyptians and he struck the Egyptians and he struck the Egyptians, not because he's an evil, vengeful God, but because he's trying to show the Lord's people and the people of Israel who God, and the people of Egypt who God is. So he strikes and he strikes and he strikes and he strikes. 10 times he strikes 
And then just a few weeks into the wilderness, three or less, they run out of water. And so God tells Moses to strike the rock. Why? Because these people only know a God who strikes. So when Moses strikes the rock the first time, the people would go, surely that's God. We only know this God as a God who strikes. But I hope, I hope you and I know that that's not primarily who God is. He's not a God who strikes. He's a God who speaks. He's a God who is, um, how does it say it in Exodus 34? A God full of compassion and mercy. Slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And it's been 30, actually 40 years since God told Moses to strike that rock. And for years, these people have learned and know a God who speaks. Over and over, this God has spoken and God has protected and provided for them. Do you see why this is so crucial? If the promised land isn't really about just these people getting a permanent place in the world, but it's about a people being a community to show the rest of the world what God is truly like, then it actually matters how we show what God is really like. I think that's why Moses isn't allowed to enter. Because in that moment, in front of the people, he didn't show what God is really like. Now, God still worked through Moses. We'll see that in the last two weeks here. He still gets to spend eternity with God because when Jesus is up on a mountain, Elijah and Moses come and stand in Jesus' presence. So Moses still gets eternity, but he does not get the promised land. In fact, in early in Deuteronomy, God says, Moses, don't ask me about this again. I've made up my mind. So what's our takeaway? What does this look like for you and me in 2020? Well, I think if it can happen to them, it might happen to us. There might be moments where we miss it, that we can fall into catastrophe. So we need to pay attention. I think we need to pay attention to how we feel. This doesn't mean, like, be dominated by your feelings, just trust your feelings. No, our feelings totally misplace us, but they do give us indications mentally, physically, spiritually. How are you doing? Are you honest about how you're doing? Like, part of me, I've been telling people, man, COVID has made me, like, work out more than ever because it's one thing I can control. Physically, I feel a lot better than I do. I probably need to get more sleep. And so that contributes to me being tired. And sometimes I don't make the best decisions when I'm tired. But maybe I need to ask someone to hold me accountable. Or maybe you need to ask someone to hold you accountable for your physical fitness or your physical health. Maybe you need to ask someone to hold you accountable to having helpful and healthy self-talk during this time. Because let's be honest, it's really easy to not have healthy and helpful self-talk right now. Or maybe you know you are spiritually isolated and you need some Christ-centered community. Whether it's physical or virtual, you can't ignore it. I think this is part of what led to Moses' demise. 
Second, we need to pay attention to who we are. Not just how we feel, but who we are. Jesus says that we are salt and we are light. We bring illumination to the darkness in small situations, in big situations, in world situations. We bring that not with our own wisdom, but with the wisdom from the Holy Spirit. We are salt. We bring flavor and preservation to the world around us. We bring words of hope. We bring acts of love. That's who we are. That's not just what we do. We are invited to contribute to God's kingdom, to build his kingdom here now. Jesus says, or actually the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we are God's ambassadors, like royal representatives who invite people to come back to God because God's arms are open wide. He longs to forgive. That's who he is. And we don't do this in our own strength. Acts 1.8 says, when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be witnesses. You might say, oh, I don't, I don't like to witness. That feels awkward and weird. You don't have to witness. You just have to be a witness filled with the Holy Spirit. He will give you what you need. We need to pay attention to who we are, even in 2020. Actually, especially in 2020. And finally, we need to pay attention to how we live. See, Numbers 20, verse 12 says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness in front of the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land. Moses did not show God as holy to the people. Maybe he was trusting in that staff. Maybe he was trusting in himself, but he wasn't fully trusting in God in that moment, and God calls us to represent him to the world. Do you ever consider that sometimes the worst advertisement for Christian or for Christ is Christians? Or a lot of people under 30, if they're talking to someone about Jesus, start with an apology? Friends, if we're over 30, we need to hear that. We're invited to reflect who God really is to the world. And he doesn't want us to show off a God who strikes. There are hundreds, thousands of little G gods who are angry and strike. But there's one God who is patient and loving and forgiving who speaks. And all people of the world are invited to know that God. Jesus ultimately shows us that God. He humbled himself, did not think of his status with God as something to cling to, but he became obedient to God and died a criminal's death on a cross so that you and I could live. That's good news. So as the band comes up and we consider what it means to respond to God. God expected holiness from Moses and Moses gave him anger. Is God expecting something like holiness from you but you're giving him something else instead? So if you're a note taker, you just want to maybe write down, where's God expecting holiness and I'm giving him 
blank. Like, where is God expecting love, but I'm giving him greed? I'm giving him lust. Where is God expecting patience, but I'm giving him pride? Where is God expecting generosity, and I'm giving selfishness? See, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians gives us an admonishment to the people, and he says, I don't want you to forget, brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness. Why would we read these stories in Leviticus and Numbers and Exodus? Like all back here, these seem so old. No, all of them, all these ancestors and us were glided by a cloud to move them. All of them walked through the sea on dry ground. All of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them drank the same spiritual water for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was Christ. That rock got struck once and gave us life. And he never has to be struck again. These happened as a warning to us that we would not crave the evil things that they did or worship idols as some of them did. So would you pray with me? God, we want our desires, our cravings to be in line with you. We know that there are so many things that we can worship in this day and age. And God, we want to worship you. And we know that there are idols everywhere. There are little G-gods who strike God, but we want to follow and we want to represent a God who speaks, a God who is loving. I pray that you take the words from this story and the words from my mouth, the things that are from you, and that you would speak to us in this moment right now. God, where are we giving you something else when you expect holiness. Jesus, how are you inviting us to trust you in this moment? This is the watershed moment. This is when they get to go into the promised land and what that means for us. Where are these moments that we can go into our sacred future that might feel uneasy, that might, we might not know exactly what's going to happen, but you just invite us to take a step. God, we pray that you would be speaking to us now about how to do that, about how to trust you. God, and if we think that you are an evil God or you are a vengeful God or you are an unfair God, I pray that we would hear in this story a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God who longs to lavish forgiveness and love onto people and that we turn our hearts towards you, that we'd accept your forgiveness and your love, that we'd be your people. Amen.